Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel, broadcasting remotely. COVID-19 created a global health crisis. Thanks to scientists, people are starting to get vaccinated. But the pandemic has shown the U.S. how unprepared it was for dealing with the last year. Today, where we live after years of underfunding, will policymakers do a better job investing in public health? and its workforce. Coming up, we'll talk to a recent graduate about his career decision to work in public health, and we'll hear from a community health worker. First, to give us an idea of how local health districts have been operating across the country, joining me now on Zoom is Michelle Smith. She's a reporter for the Associated Press covering public health and the pandemic. Michelle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Also with us on Zoom is Jennifer Curtanis, Director of Health for the Farmington Valley Health District, and she's board president of the National Association of County and City Health Officials. Jennifer, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much. You can join our conversation, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WNPR. Or you can share a comment on our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, Michelle Smith from the Associated Press. I'll start with you. Uh, You and your colleagues started investigating the state of our nation's public health system during the pandemic. Uh, In your story, uh, I wanted to quote, on every level, the system is underfunded and under threat unable to protect the nation's health. Describe what you found. Did any of it surprise you? Um, It was surprising. I I think that um, public health, many people knew that public health wasn't getting the money it needed and and had had been cut many times over the years, but just the extent of it um, leading into the pandemic was very surprising. Um, We, so AP and Kaiser Health News teamed up for the investigation and we found um, that, that uh, spending for, for public health departments and local health departments had really plummeted since uh, 2008. 16% per capita for state public health departments and 18% for local health departments nationally in Connecticut. um, The staffing at the state department of public health per resident dropped 16% um, before the pandemic. Uh, Connecticut spends about $61 per person on public health at the state level. Um, That is, uh, Nationally, we found that that about uh, that that about three quarters of Americans live in states that spend less than a hundred dollars per person annually on public health, and it, and it's just again and again the people we spoke to um, who are public health experts who are working in public health on the ground and dealing with this pandemic have said it's just not enough money to do 
what needs to be done. And we, we can see that now with the vaccine rollout that it's very slow in many places and um, the, the technology isn't there, the staffing isn't there, they just don't have the resources they need to do their jobs well. You were talking about uh, funding over the last several years. Something else that struck me in your story, Michelle, at least 38,000 state and local public health jobs have simply disappeared since the 2008 recession. So this leaves a skeletal workforce that we're seeing here in our state in terms of the challenges of finding people uh, to run these uh, clinics, to have volunteers, to do contact tracing. Can you talk about how our public health system is structured across across the country? Uh, yeah, so on the, you know, there's the federal um, on the federal level. There's the Centers for Disease Control. Then you come down to state to the state level, um, and every state has a public health department or, or some some department that manages public health. Um, they're they're called different things in different states, and every state seems to manage <laughs> to organize it a little bit differently. Then within states. Um, public health is managed uh, in, in different ways. Some states have just one state health department. It does public health for the entire state. Other states have local health departments um, that might be based either in towns or in counties or in regions or like sets of counties. So it, it really depends. And it's kind of a grab bag of ways that, that public health is done on the local level. Um, some states, uh, you know, have um, state offices that are spread around the state that, that do public health. Other states don't do that. Um, they just have one state health department. So it, it's, it's really, different depending on where you are, then, you know, what what public health departments do is um, there are so many different things that they do. Uh, it could be mosquitoes, um, monitoring mosquitoes to make sure um, things like eastern equine encephalitis aren't found and aren't spreading. Um, they, they do... Uh, programs on opioid addiction. Um, there, there's so many things, maternal health. They, they do a range of services for communities to keep the population healthy. Um, and it's, it's different from what doctors and hospitals do who treat individuals. Public health departments treat the, or they're responsible for the health of the population in their community. To get a local perspective on what Michelle Smith was sharing with us, again, I wanted to um, bring back into the conversation Jennifer Curtanis, who's Director of Health for the Farmington Valley Health District. Uh, Jennifer, uh, talk about uh, some of what Michelle has shared, how you have seen resources shrink over the years and how um, our health departments are structured in our state. Sure. So, um, Connecticut does have local health departments um, because we don't have a county government structure. 
we have either standalone municipal health departments. So our larger cities in general have a health department that is kind of built into the municipal infrastructure of that city. We also have kind of regional health departments. So um, they're called health districts like the Farmington Valley Health District where multiple towns come together and receive their public health uh, services protections through this district health department. Um, in Connecticut, local health departments are funded in a number of ways. Um, one, we receive per capita, a per capita allocation from the state legislature. Um, currently that dollar amount is $1.85 per person. So for probably less than half the cost of a cup of coffee, that is the investment right now that the state is making in um, local health departments, $1.85. In addition, health departments obviously at the local level are supported by the municipalities they serve, whether they are a municipal department within a city or if you're a health district, we kind of levy another per capita allocation and our towns contribute that money to us um, based on the population of the community that they have. Um, and then fee for service. So local health departments do charge for things like restaurant licenses, permitting fees, um, installation of septic systems, septic repairs. So that's another source of revenue for health districts. Um, we have not seen any kind of increase in the state investment in local governmental health for many, many, many years. And in fact, um, we've seen decreases for the past several years that uh, state per capita allocation has been underfunded by, um, I think it's about 10%. So um, yes, the disinvestment in our local health departments has been historic and longstanding. Uh, Michelle, when we talk about these departments being under-resourced, why is that? Uh, and is it there the idea that when emergencies happen, like a pandemic, that the federal government will step in and, and send some emergency money to states to deal with the, the latest crisis? And I'm just wondering if you can talk about the cycle that's been seen as, as uh, recent as the Obama administration. Um, yeah, there's uh, a few thoughts on that. Um, one of the things public health people like to say is that when they're doing their jobs well, nothing happens. And so when they're able to do, you know, what they need to do, no one's going to notice the, the outbreak that they prevent. So that is a challenge for them uh, because you know, people just don't notice um, when when uh, when they're doing their jobs. Um, another thing that has happened um, repeatedly is a boom and bust cycle. So, some sort of outbreak or uh, epidemic hits, and there's a bunch of money thrown at the problem, um, often too late. And then once it's over, the money dries up again. Um, and it, it's happened again and again with uh, past, you know, H1N1, swine flu, things like that. 
um, and then the money dries up. And there are various programs, for example, on the federal level um, that have just never been fully funded or cannibalized for other things. Um, and uh, something a lot of uh, people have have said is, all right, you know, we're, we're in a pandemic right now. There is some money coming to it, uh, although arguably not enough. Um, what's going to happen when it's over? Is the money going to dry up again um, and not be there for the next pandemic that hits? Uh, and just going back into the, back into the bus cycle with no money to hire people, no money to train future epidemiologists. Um, and then, you know, in however many years, we'll be back where we were at the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic. Jennifer Curtanis, this, this COVID relief money sent to Connecticut, has it trickled down to local health departments and health districts such as yours? Um, it really hasn't. Um, my health department has received $176,000 for this fiscal year uh, through something called the Epidemiology and Lab Capacity Grant. This is passed through money from the CDC to the state, but $176,000 for the type of response that we're mounting, um, that hardly allows me to hire a full-time equivalent if you think about uh, you know, a salary and benefits um, and we are incurring considerable costs associated with supplies, uh, vaccine refrigerators and freezers, um, supplies to run clinics, overtime to do contact tracing, overtime to run clinics on Saturdays to vaccinate our teachers. Um, so it has not trickled down to the local level the way it, it needs to. Today, we're focusing on public health, uh, not only um, the public health uh, workforce of the future, but how uh, public health departments around our country, including in our state, have been underfunded and the consequences of that, especially in this pandemic. You just heard Jennifer Curtanis, Director of Health for the Farmington Valley Health District. She's board president of the National Association of County and City Health Officials. And also with us, Michelle Smith, reporter for the Associated Press covering public health and the pandemic. Uh, Michelle, I brought up the Obama administration earlier uh, because in your reporting with Kaiser Health News, I believe under the Affordable Care Act, there was a particular public health fund that was established uh, to have uh, you know billions uh, to help with these initiatives, but that money was then raided by the Obama administration and Congress. What happened under the Trump administration? Um. Well, I mean, it's just the same, the <laughs> same story. Um, you know, during at the beginning of the pandemic, um, there or towards the beginning of the pandemic, there was some money. Uh, you know, the CARES Act. Everyone knows the CARES Act um, set aside a lot of money for the pandemic. But you know, in our reporting, we we looked at that CARES Act money and where it went. And while some did uh, trickle down to local health departments, um, there were some places some that that never saw anything. They got nothing. Some local health departments got zero dollars um, for fighting the pandemic and. Um, that's, 
it put them in a very <laughs> difficult position. Um, so it, it just uh, kind of surprising, I guess, that in the middle of a huge public health emergency, the biggest one our nation has had in over 100 years, um, many public health departments were still scrambling and scraping and putting stuff together with like, you know, bubblegum wrappers and pieces of string to, to help their communities. Jennifer Curtanis, you gave us an idea of what the state spends and and how that money is sent to health districts such as yours. Is there anything in the governor's budget proposal to help health districts or coming from the, the State Department of Public Health for this next couple of years? Well, ironically, there is a hearing today in at the Capitol or or via virtually um, the Appropriations Committee. And my understanding is that the governor has proposed in his budget level funding of local health departments. So I presume that's at the $1.85 per capita. And obviously um, my membership organization and others are advocating for um, you know, a, a relook at that and reconsideration about the investment that we need to make in local public health in Connecticut. What would be a reasonable per capita expenditure, Jennifer? The dollar eighty-five seems pretty low. Oh, geez, um, that's a tough question to ask. But um, years ago, we at the Connecticut Association of Directors of Health did an evaluation. Um, I, I just would want to back up and say to Michelle to, you know, comment on something Michelle was saying is, you know, it's, it's a well-funded, um, well-staffed local health department that is prepared not only for an emergency, but for everyday response. And so um, as she spoke to, you know, it takes a cadre of diverse disciplines, epidemiologists, health educators, community outreach workers, public information officers and communication experts. When a health department locally has that expertise, we are better positioned to deal with the public health threats and issues we deal with every single day, as well as a pandemic. And so many years ago, we looked at what it would take to fully fund and staff a local health department with the myriad of expertise and disciplines we need. And I think at that time, and it was um, you know, many years ago, that per capita was about $20 per capita. Mm. $20 versus $1.85 per capita, which it is now. Right. Right. Uh, Jennifer, again, you are, uh, again, you lead the Farmington Valley Health District, so you're coordinating with uh, towns in the Farmington Valley. This is the week where I think it's what, 600,000 more Connecticut residents are eligible to sign up for the vaccine. So there's a, obviously you're working around the clock, I assume, you and your, you and the people in your department. But what does that mean in terms of you know, what would be adequate staffing to help you through this, this surge in, in vaccine appointments? Yeah, so when we started this um, pandemic, my department had just hired an epidemiologist, um, a part-time epidemiologist. That was a godsend. That is what has allowed us to 
track and monitor what is happening with this disease in our communities, who's at greatest risk, where we need to prioritize our efforts, um, and to assist with the contact tracing. Um, all of my, we didn't have a communications person, still don't. We didn't have extra staff to do contact tracing. Um, so we're, you know, we had to bring on first volunteers and now we're able to pay a little bit uh, for that support. Um, we don't have community health outreach workers. We do not have public health nurses. And so, um, you know, we are having to rely on the incredible goodwill of the 10 towns that we work with and volunteers. Um, all of our community vaccination clinics, and we do three a week, and now we're starting to gear up for Saturdays for our teachers, are all volunteer driven. Um, we could not do that work without them. Um, the other thing I would just comment on is that my staff, like in the environmental health arena um, or in community health, so the work that we were doing around youth vaping or the opioid crisis or mental health or chronic disease prevention, and even some of our environmental services, all of those folks have had to be um, redirected to focus on the pandemic. Um, so a lot of that work is not happening or certainly not happening at the level that it should. Um, and we're gonna be struggling with those issues long after this pandemic is gone. And some might argue that we'll actually have more significant challenges in, in those areas when the pandemic is over. Uh, Michelle Smith from the Associated Press, uh, before we let you go, when we talk about the workforce, especially in the pandemic, this is a workforce that uh, in your reporting and your colleagues, uh, they're obviously underpaid, so much so that some are on uh, public assistance, but they're doing important work. I'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about that, the stress and the, the fact that they are underpaid. Yeah, that was one of the most surprising things was uh, that, that we found with the number of people who do this public health work. They work for your local government um, in many places who are actually on public assistance because they are paid so little. And um, it's it, it, it's uh, in addition, like with, with the pandemic, one of the things that has happened is in in many communities they have become public punching bags um so you know they've been flamed on facebook and some of them have been threatened um driven from their jobs uh we counted um 181 public health leaders um, around the country who resigned, retired, or were fired from April 1st until December of last year. Um, there's just a ton of pressure on public health workers these days, and it's not always appreciated. The, the work they do is not always appreciated by their communities. Michelle Smith, again, is a reporter for the Associated Press covering public health and the pandemic. We'll tweet out some links to her stories along with Kaiser Health News looking into the public health workforce in the United States. Michelle, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Jennifer Curtanis will stay with us. She's Director of Health for the Farmington Valley Health District, also Board President of the National Association of County and City Health Officials. Coming up, we talk about the systems in place to support community health in a pandemic and beyond. You can join us too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're taking a ground level look at public health. Your local health department does more than schedule and staff COVID-19 vaccine clinics. Public health workers manage disease outbreaks. They work to protect us from environmental health threats. They also inspect restaurants. They respond to emergencies. Then they provide important outreach and education around community health. But we just heard that public health around our country is so poorly supported from low salaries to persistent cuts in local government funding. Will the pandemic change how policymakers view public health priorities? We're talking about that with my guest on Zoom, Jennifer Curtanis, Director of Health for the Farmington Valley Health District and Board President of the National Association of County and City Health Officials. Uh, Jennifer, before we hear from a community health worker, I wanted to ask you your, your reaction to what Michelle Smith had shared about the fact that uh, during this pandemic, there's a lot of... Um, anger directed towards public health officials that are just trying to do their jobs like inspect restaurants if they're not following COVID-19 protocols. Have you seen and heard this from your colleagues here in our state? Um, I have less so in our state, but certainly in my role as president of the National Association of County and City Health Officials. Um, you know, we've really watched in, um, you know, dismay um, some of the challenges that our colleagues have had, um, either losing their jobs or being threatened. Um, it is, you know, a pandemic is something new for everyone and everyone has their own personal perception of risk. People are scared. People are anxious. Um, and there is certain uncertainty, especially in the early days of this pandemic and before we had vaccine and even uncertainty now for some with respect to when they might be able to access vaccine. And unfortunately, local health departments have been kind of the focus or local health leadership has been the focus of some of uh, this frustration um, mostly, I think, born out of, you know, anxiety and, and people not knowing exactly how best to protect themselves, when they might get a vaccine, how they might protect family members, what truly puts them at risk, what doesn't put them at risk. So um, understandable, but at the same time, you know, public health professionals went into this profession, not for the money, not for the notoriety. We went into this profession because we wanted to help people. We want wanted to be public servants. Um, and so that aspect of this has been, you know, very frustrating to watch. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, again, I mentioned earlier about the uh, large number of Connecticut residents who are now eligible and the, the stress it's putting on the, the system that's in place uh, to uh, not only schedule vaccine, but knowing that the supply doesn't quite meet the demand. But there's a lot of stress also in our state about the importance of equity. The governor's saying that it is a greater priority in this next phase of the vaccine rollout. But I'm wondering if you could share some of your perspective. When we hear how understaffed and underfunded public health departments are, Jennifer, does that make you think, too, that we don't have the tools on the ground to make sure that this is as equitable rollout as possible? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, when we think about communities of color, uh, communities living in poverty, um, they are probably also served by local health departments that have not been well-funded, that maybe don't have the resources they need to do the outreach. Um, they may have a workforce that is um, not reflective of the population they serve for a whole host of reasons. Um, so equity is a very challenging issue. I think one of the other things we have to think about is we are so driven right now by volume and making sure that shots get into arms, which is important, but it is, we cannot do that at the risk of recognizing that certain populations are more challenging to reach. They may not have transportation, um, they may not have speak English as their primary language. Um, they may have childcare issues, which challenge them to get to available public clinics. Um, they may not understand or have access to some of the technology that has, at least early on in this pandemic, been driving who can access vaccine and who can't. So as much as it is important to get vaccine into arms as quickly as possible. We also really need to recognize and appreciate that there are segments of our population that will take extra time, extra resources, extra outreach, and we need to prioritize that as well. Again, you're hearing Jennifer Curtanis, Director of Health for the Farmington Valley Health District here on where we live. Uh, one group that could be key in reaching this population that Jennifer mentioned are community health workers. Joining us now on Zoom is Fatawu Muhammad, community health worker with Southwestern Area Health Education Center in Shelton, Connecticut. Fatawu, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell me about what you do specifically with your organization and how you have been working in this pandemic. Yeah, so uh, at my agency, what we do at this point is uh, equipping community health workers to really understand what uh, the COVID-19 is all about and also uh, uh, providing the resources uh, to help them uh, to be able to navigate within the community to help uh, their clients. Uh, so in the process, uh, we are able to provide uh, community health worker trainings around uh, COVID-19 uh, to our CAW training uh, participants. Uh, we are also in the process of developing another vaccine uh, competency training, uh, oh, uh, vaccine confidence training uh, to community health workers based on uh, a survey we just concluded uh, last week. 
And uh, from that survey, we're able to have information from the community that indicates that uh, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding uh, within the community uh, that has to do with the COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, and also there's a lot of barriers, like uh, Jennifer mentioned, uh, uh, there's a lot of barriers on uh, uh, on either technology, uh, people having trouble traveling to where the vaccination is given, uh, and also people just uh, able to navigate uh, to uh, set up appointment. So these are all information community health workers uh, are being challenged with within the communities they're working, and that's what uh, we have been working uh, hard to kind of get uh, information across to help them understand how to support their clients in these cases. Well, we know that COVID-19 has taken a priority and now uh, vaccine efforts uh, with the COVID-19 vaccine finally available. But does this also put a stress on community health organizations, Futawu, when we think about all the other things they're responsible for and they almost have to be sidelined uh, because we're dealing with this pandemic? Yes, uh, for our agency, uh, knowing very well that we, 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 our, our services are geared towards underserved communities uh, within uh, most part of the state, uh, we have been really challenged with uh, reaching uh, individuals because uh, most of the programs we provide uh, initially, uh, they were in-person programs, uh, but then now we have to kind of change everything online uh, even with the trainings we provide uh, for community health workers, we have to uh, kind of modify it to an online training. So that's that's uh, that's a bit challenging, but uh, at the same time, it's an opportunity to kind of explore other kind of options to be able to support the community in these difficult times. I understand a lot of the programming around community health workers is done on a grant-funded basis. So is that also challenging, Fatawu, when you think about how funding uh, will dry up in terms of the outreach that uh, you and others are doing? Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I, I think part of the challenge we community health workers have always uh, faced is uh, funding. Uh, most of our positions are funded by grants. Uh, we are never part of uh, uh, either uh, the agency budgetary uh, allocations. And uh, when the budget ends or when the grants end, then our programs ends as well. And then we are left hanging uh, and our clients are left hanging as well. And uh, uh, during this COVID, I, I, I think it's, it's part of the reason why most of uh, the challenges we are facing is uh, increasing and, uh, and of course, in a lot of disparities within the communities. Uh, because uh, uh, the systems that uh, were supposed to be built uh, were not built. And then uh, the systems that were supposed to be sustained uh, were not sustained. And that is why I'm so happy that Jennifer really mentioned about uh, how uh, they are using volunteers and uh, most of these volunteers, uh, I did I did hear that uh, most of them are also on public uh, support, uh, uh, public assistance programs. Uh, these individuals are just individuals who are willing to support their communities and uh, they are community health workers in, in, in some sense. And if you take that into consideration and then establishing a system that sustains some kind of funding to support these individuals. Uh, you can imagine where the health of uh, the state will go. And uh, just being there as community individuals and then uh, knowing that they are more connected to the community than even uh, some of our professionals within the agency that we work in, uh, these individuals are able to bring us to a level that 
we 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 sometimes never thought of getting uh, when it comes to the community health. We've heard our governor uh, often look to our neighboring states to uh, work together as a region uh, in this pandemic. But I'm wondering, Fatawu, uh, are there examples of other states in our region that are investing in community health uh, right now that could be models for Connecticut? Oh, yeah, definitely. There's, uh, there's a few states that has really done well when it, uh, during this COVID uh, Chicago, for example, uh, when COVID hit, they also hit the ground running. And uh, while they were hosting uh, town hall meetings around uh, around the state, they also focused on community outreach uh, whilst uh, collaborating with community health workers, uh, providing COVID-19 testing outreach services uh, like door-to-door, uh, showing up at grocery stores, and laundry mats, including making sure that uh, locations where essential workers are located uh, have been visited. Uh, with this effort, uh, they have been able to uh, to increase uh, the number of people who historically never had any kind of connection to a healthcare provider, uh, develop some kind of relationship with uh, a provider, and that uh, they boosted their state uh, COVID-19 testing and as compared to other states. Uh, New York also, uh, they also did a very good job uh, using, uh, and, and this is part of just part of the information that is uh, being, uh, that is uh, shared. Uh, they, and uh, this is part of a CAW team at the New York Presbyterian Hospital and also the New York University of Grossman School of Medicine. So they joined their hands together to kind of uh, provide uh, some kind of uh, awareness program when it comes to COVID-19. And they reached out to over 9,000 9, uh, uh, individuals within the community. And that's just providing over the phone, like wellness checks, uh, helping uh, nearly uh, 3,000 individuals enroll in online patient portals, uh, prepare for upcoming uh, appointments and, and, and all of those stuff. And with these interventions, they were able to even uncover and took action to address social determinants of health disparities uh, mm -hmm. affecting these individuals during this COVID-19. So definitely some states have done well in uh, working with community health workers, but uh, the, the story still remains the same. Uh, I don't think there's a sustainable funding because uh, for community health workers, uh, all of these states are working under grant-funded programs or are working under voluntary uh, kind of community health worker models. And uh, knowing the impact or the out the outcomes of community health workers work within the community, I think, uh, and, and, and not myself just thinking that uh, there's a lot of uh, literature out there that really supports that uh, there should be some kind of uh, sustainable funding for community health workers uh, and also some kind of sustainable model that incorporate community health workers within the healthcare system. Putawu mm. Mohama again as community health worker with Southwestern Area Health Education Center that's in Shelton, Connecticut. That's where he runs the organization's immunization program, but also connects and develops training for other community health workers in Connecticut. Putawu, thank you for your work and your time today on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Here's some good news. Public health programs in the United States have seen a surge in enrollment during the pandemic. We're going to talk about that coming up and take your questions too. find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live.
This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today we're talking about the importance of public health. Now, there are reports enrollment for public health workforce has increased in the pandemic and in uh, graduate programs. Joining us now is a recent graduate on the phone, Tim Kluthis, who has a public health certificate from UConn Health. He's currently working as a contact tracer and is a member of the governor's vaccine allocation subcommittee. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Also with us on Zoom, Jennifer Curtanis, Director of Health for the Farmington Valley Health District. Uh, so, Tim, I, I understand when you first started your graduate work uh, in public health, you probably expected to learn about epidemics, but this is uh, quite the learning experience uh, for you uh, this past year. Uh, yeah, I actually have a fond memory of um, our first day of classes. We talked about the um, Spanish flu, and it was, <laughs> we hope to never relive another one of those pandemics, and um hopefully we have our groundwork in place and that we've learned lessons from our past. But um, it seems clear that we have still a lot of work to do. And fortunately, um, our programs are really doing a good job in trying to stress the need to not only grow our funding, but also grow the people interested in public health, which is tremendous. What motivated you to study public health, Tim? So I'm actually applying to med schools now, and to be honest with you, the whole foundation of any uh, medical care starts with public health, because without healthy communities, the medicine only works so much, because our surrounding communities that we live in, our environments, our social standings, and the just the place we're put into has the biggest structural determinants on our entire health which is why I felt it was important to have an understanding in public health that I want to become a physician. Mm. And while you were studying remotely, you've also been working working as a contact tracer. I remember when the state was asking for volunteers uh, to help uh, health districts and local health departments. Can you talk about the work that you've been doing? What has it been like? So, yeah, it was interesting how I actually even got into it because um, I had COVID in April while I was studying, starting to study for finals and stuff, and I just it's like until you have it, you don't really understand it fully, and I was hit hard by it. So UConn offered a course to train um, our grad students in contact tracing. So I ended up becoming a contact tracer, and I'd say it's probably been one of my more rewarding experiences I've done just because the wide array of people I talk to every day, it's, um, it just shows how diverse we are as a state and the issues that you wouldn't think people go through every day. Um, are struggling and trying just to help them any way you can um, is really impactful. How have you, how do you think this pandemic has shifted even your classmates' uh, perspective on public health and maybe furthering their interest in public health as their future careers, Tim? I think it's been a multifaceted thing. I don't, I think the pandemic was one part of the shift in interest, but I think a major surge happened with the events uh, with uh, the death of George Floyd and those issues that have caused a giant um, interest in focusing entirely on equitable health distribution and also the need to really break the system that is causing our underserved communities to exist in the states they are. Um, we've been having it for such a long time that now it's this is a point that I think people understand that we can emerge out of this as a way to address these issues and 
have some sort of solution to work on our disparities, which I think is the major lens of our students right now. I mentioned you're also a member of the governor's vaccine allocation subcommittee. I have to ask, with this emphasis on an equitable rollout, what's your take on this age-based approach that the state is now taking? Um, I mean, it's it's really hard when you're in those meetings. Um, I mean, we were on CTN advising him. So, I mean, it's personally, we were... I was an advocate for more of an equitable distribution of focusing on frontline workers and that. And so were many of my fellow members of the committee. Um, I can't speak for the governor himself, obviously, but I mean, every there's a I think the way they put it best was there's always going to be a pro and con to every situation and the rollout. Um, But I mean, my hope is and I think with our committee, hopefully moving forward, we'll be able to work in a um, situation or in a function that will help address at least access and help monitor and kind of be a little bit of a watchdog ensuring that we are addressing equity. Um, Yeah, so that's kind of my take on it. Thank you, Tim. That's Tim Klufus, recent public health certificate graduate from UConn Health, who is also working as a contact tracer. Jennifer Curtanis is still with us. She's director of health for the Farmington Valley Health District and board president of the National Association of County and City Health Officials. Uh, Jennifer, we just heard uh, Tim talk about his interest in public health, made some great points about the foundation of why it's important we think about community health and the idea that he's even working as a contact tracer. Are you feeling good about one of the silver lines? findings in this pandemic that there's more interest in public health and and students like Tim who are taking this uh, as seriously um, as the contributions they hope to make uh, in the future. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of things that uh, Tim spoke about that just warmed my heart. One, I'm very pleased that there are more individuals pursuing public health degrees now because we know in public health we have an aging workforce. Um, And we are going to need that next generation of public health leaders. Um, Also, as someone who is interested in pursuing medical school, uh, it just warms my heart to know that um, there's an appreciation for the community conditions that really are the foundation for public health and individual health. Um, As a, you know, people don't question what a doctor is. But when a doctor, you know, prescribes the best medication for a heart condition, but that individual is sent back into a community where maybe they don't feel safe uh, exercising in their own neighborhood, or the quality of their housing is poor, or they're struggling to put food on the table, healthy food choices on the table because of food deserts in the neighborhoods in which they um, live. Um, Those are the social determinants of health and the best cardiac medicine in the world is not going to solve those problems. So it's public health working in collaboration with the healthcare system to really improve health in general. It's good to hear that more young people are interested in public health. Is Is it a harder sell to get them to work at the local or regional government level, Jennifer? Um, I I think we do have a challenge and we're seeing that actually in this pandemic is that salaries are not as competitive as the private sector. Um, We have epidemiologists that are being, you know, swept away to go work in the hospital or the healthcare arena. 
um, because they can get more money. Public health nurses, even contact tracers across the country that are being kind of um, taken from the local public health system for private practice, uh, temporary agencies even, where they can make more money. These are real situations that I'm hearing about from my colleagues across the nation. Um, so we do need to, one, find ways to incentivize more of our uh, younger folks entering the field of public health, and then we need to really look hard at compensation um, and equitable compensation for that workforce that's working in the public sector. Well, this certainly has been an interesting hour looking at uh, public health uh, from the ground level up. Jennifer Curtanis, thank you so much. We know you're busy, especially with this vaccine rollout. Director of Health for the Farmington Valley Health District and Board President of the National Association of County and City Health Officials. Jennifer, good luck this week. Oh, thank you very much, Lucy, and thanks for drawing attention to these really critically important public health issues. Also, thanks to Tim Kluthis for calling in today. Today's show produced by Carmen Baskoff. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm Lucy Dalpathanchel.